Podcast. I am Andrew Dowdy. That is Chase A. Kitty of Richmond VA, and we're here for the third part of the College Football Neighborhood Series. If you haven't listened to the last two episodes, I recommend you go back and do that to get a better understanding of what we're actually doing here. Chase did a good job of explaining what our goal is here with these neighborhoods, not just ranking college football teams, but looking ahead to the next decade. Where are these teams going to sit, in our opinion, for the next 10 years? So far, we have three neighborhoods, 17 teams are in those three neighborhoods. Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma in the first one. Georgia, Florida, LSU, Oregon, Notre Dame in neighborhood two. And then a neighborhood three, Wisconsin at the top, followed by Penn State, Auburn, Michigan, Stanford, Utah, Texas A&M, and then you shove Texas down my throat. Getting into that third neighborhood, and a question for you, sir, before we hop into neighborhood four, maybe touch on neighborhood five in this episode. Since we're not just doing our opinions here, these aren't just my neighborhoods or your neighborhoods, we're trying to find a consensus, what is your biggest issue thus far? Any dirty laundry you want to air on the show before we get humming here? I don't think so. I think for the most part, we, we've probably agreed on just about everything. I think the top of this list is, is pretty solid, and I, I think it's harder to disagree on the stuff at the top. I think as you get down into the meat of everything and, and sort of the middle class as we're going to start to touch on today, that's where I think we're going to have more disagreements. I think the one thing kind of going back and doing prep for today's podcast and doing a little bit of research, I started to wonder maybe if, if Florida state belonged in neighborhood three, that was the one uh, where, where I was like, Ooh, did we, did we skip over them unjustly? Because if you go back and look, like it feels like they've been really mediocre for longer than they actually have been. Uh, it feels like they've been bad for five or six years, but Jimbo Fisher was pumping out, you know, 10 win seasons pretty much up until three years ago. Uh, and, and it just feel because of all the turmoil and the stories and the bad offensive line play and just all this stuff around Florida State, it feels like it's been going on longer than it has. And I know you've talked about you like a lot of the things that, that Mike Norvell is kind of putting into place down there. Uh, I, I think they could be good, too. So. I do wonder if maybe they belong in neighborhood three instead of neighborhood four, but and, and we can talk more about that uh, going into going into the subject today. But I do think overall we've been pretty solid so far. Yeah, that's a good point. I think there is an argument for three. If you were really passionate, I considered bringing that up in the last episode, but I just didn't think there was enough meat there. But you make a good point. It does feel like they've been bad for I don't know six or seven years. But you go back and look four years ago. They were a 10-win team, and even going into Willie Taggart's first season, because I wasn't as high on that hire uh, as most people was, but uh, but I still think it was a really, really good hire at the time. And even going entering the 2018 season, they still probably would have been comfortably in neighborhood three. There might have been an argument even after that 7-win season in 2017 that they were in neighborhood two. But, I mean, you go back before then for multiple decades they're probably a neighborhood two team maybe a fringe probably even a neighborhood one if we're sitting here doing this in 2012 2013 2014 when they're ripping off 12 14 13 wins they're probably in that I think because of how far they've fallen and how um, ugly it's been publicly 
mean, like you said, it doesn't feel like it's only been two years. Well, I guess three years if you want to count that last year in the Jimbo. But it, it, I think because of how bad Willie Taggart started and how publicly that has been, and it's kind of just been this punching bag for everybody, that's what I think feels like it's been longer. They will be a neighborhood forum. We'll get more to that. Um, I, I do want to start the conversation here with Washington because there was a tweet from a listener, Spence Hans, asking about Washington, basically saying, uh, summarizing it here, why Utah is considered, we had Utah again in the third neighborhood why Utah is considered the better program for the next decade, and then also asking if Oregon is in that second neighborhood, why isn't Washington? Washington never once, not any point, crossed my mind for the second neighborhood. We're on board with that, right? Uh, no, absolutely at, not. at no point when I was doing this did I even glance over Washington. They didn't even cross in front of my eyes. I looked at them for the third neighborhood, but it wasn't anything more of a, okay, who are we putting in here? Why? No, it's not going to be Washington. That was it. And I think that it's it's the Chris Peterson factor here. If Chris Peterson is Washington head coach, even with, I think, how underwhelming they have been for the last few years now since that 2016 season, I don't think that the results and the production on the field have matched the kind of talent they've had in that too deep. And we can talk about injuries all you want, but most college football teams deal with that. But for me, there are a few huge reasons here, the biggest one being Chris Peterson. If Chris Peterson did not retire after last season, would they have comfortably been in that third neighborhood for you? Yes. I think when you look at Chris Chris Peterson's record uh, as a head coach, his track record, not just at Washington, but overall, you know what you're getting with him. He's a top flight coach, and Washington under him has been pretty consistent and playing at a high level. They have you know the playoff berth, and I think we're, we're going to speak to whether or not that's who they are as a program is a top four playoff kind of team. I don't think we think that. But they're still a really high-level operating team. If Chris Peterson is there, they're three, no question in my mind. I, I have no problem with that. I think right now, you know, there are a lot of cases like this, particularly in the neighborhood we're going to look at today, where a coach is just leaving or a new coach is just getting there, and we have to make a call about who we think they're going to be over the next five or ten years. And in a lot of cases, we have to make it pretty definitively. We, we're going to have to say, hey, we think they're trending down or we think they're going to get even better. And I think in the case of Washington, I don't think you're going to do better than Chris Peterson. Even if Washington is still in contention in the Pac-12, I still think they're going to take a step down and that's probably going to put them in this neighborhood four, which is still a pretty good place to live. Like when, when we talk about neighborhood four, we've already listed 17 programs. So the, when you start to think about top 40 kind of programs like that's who we're talking about today if you're a top 40 program you maybe even a top 25 program you know you're in the top third or so of college football that's a good place to be so it's not by any means i don't think an insult or a bad place to live because i think a lot of a lot of teams would like to be in this neighborhood and i'm guessing we're going to touch on a few that might think they're here but the reality is that they're not yeah, I think it was last episode of the one before we were talking about, I think it was last episode doing Neighborhood 3, we were talking about Michigan, how everybody craps on Michigan nationally, and yes, they can't beat Ohio State, yes, they can't get um, kind of over the bubble here, but Michigan is still a really solid program. I mean, it's fun to have a 10-2 and team, an 11-1 and team, even a 9-3 and team. They're just not all the way up there yet. We mentioned that Florida State is definitely being Neighborhood 4. 
you might be underwhelmed by neighborhood for some of the teams that we talk about, but there's still going to be a lot of really good. We're going to talk about USC today. Oklahoma State will probably be in this. Like you said, Florida State. We'll talk about Iowa, Virginia Tech. A lot of really, really solid programs where it's not that bad of a place to be. And we're going to define kind of what neighborhood four is in a second. But really quickly in the, I don't know how long we've been talking about Washington here, three or four minutes. Neither you nor I specifically mentioned Jimmy Lake. We talked about the coaching change, but we didn't even say that we don't trust Jimmy Lake. We just don't know what to expect from Jimmy Lake. It's kind of like going into last season with Ryan Day at Ohio State. There was a little bit more leeway there because of how we handled the situation with Urban Meyer suspended. We knew that Ryan Day was in demand. He turned down the Mississippi State job. I don't know what Jimmy Lake's uh, uh, demand was nationally as a head coach. If anybody does, please tweet at the pod, at High Motor Pod. I'm curious if he did have offers to be a head coach somewhere. That's not saying that he's going to be a successful head coach somewhere else. That's not saying that Ryan Day is going to be a successful head coach somewhere else. But there is something that that program saw and that other programs saw to make them want him as a head coach. We just don't know with Jimmy Lake. And I think going back to 2016, the the one thing that worries me about Washington is that I worry that we saw kind of the near future, the present future ceiling for Washington in 2016. And they are pretty far below that right now. Yes, they could get back up to that. But how long is that going to take for Jimmy Lake? We're talking at least, I think, two or three years would be on the generous side, maybe more likely three or four, and then suddenly you're wiping off 30 to 40% of the decade, and you only have six or seven years now to get back to that ceiling, and we're talking about the most optimistic scenario. Do you think when Washington went 2016, do you feel like it was kind of like a Notre Dame 2018 situation where that felt like the ceiling, and could they jump higher than that? Sure, of course they could. I don't see it happening because it feels like they kind of hit their peak and I don't know if they can go that much far above it. And if they go farther above it, that's a huge, huge jump we're talking here. Yeah, I think to some degree, when you're having conversations like this, we have to limit ourselves to what is what could reasonably happen, right? Anything could hypothetically happen. But I don't we're not talking about like what could all of the possibilities that could hypothetically ever happen. I think we're trying to have a reasonable, rational discussion on where teams live and sort of the, you know, the, the highs and lows and where they're going to be. And I think Washington is a top half, top third Pac-12 kind of team. And I mean, do you think Lake is going to be ultimately better at that job than Chris Peterson? Cause I don't. No, again, he again, he could like he very well could do that. Like Ryan Day could have longer, more sustained success than Urban Meyer. I'm on the record saying I think Ryan Day will leave for the NFL at some point. Like that is absolutely possible. When we're talking about LSU. We don't think that LSU will produce the greatest college football team of all time again. But could they? Yeah, of course they could. And of course, Jimmy Lake could do what Chris Peterson did. He could do more than that. But uh, let's but move it seems on. Seems unlikely. Ta- yeah, we've been talking about Washington for too long here. Let's define neighborhood four. And when we were kind of kicking this back and forth, we generally said like a top twenty-five to forty-ish team uh, once every decade, maybe a little bit more often than that they can enter the real playoff conversation. They can field one of those like, hey, look at you know Kentucky. They're ten and zero right now. Iowa is ten and zero. Oklahoma State nine and one. They have a couple of good opportunities left. They have that type of season once every eight, nine, ten years where they're actually really in contention, not just entering that conversation in mid-October, late October, but they're in real contention 
come early November, mid-November, and then maybe every four or five years they jump up and have the 10-win season, the 11-win season where it's a nice season, kind of like Washington State a couple years ago, where it was a really, really good team, and they were kind of in that fringe playoff conversation, but the odds of them making it were so slim based on the schedule. Does that feel right for you, kind of this top 40-ish neighborhood for neighborhood four? Yeah, top 40-ish is exactly what I wrote down in my notes. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I've approached it. I think this is where we start to see G5 teams at the very top of the sort of the G5 pecking order uh, creep into the rankings here, creep into the neighborhood. A lot of the good but not great Power 5 programs, we're going to see a lot of those. This is definitely going to be where the neighborhoods start to really get bigger. I mean, if you want to think about it like a pyramid, like as we're going down the pyramid, it's really going to start to flex out here. You could make a case that this neighborhood is as big as the three neighborhoods we've already done combined. So it's going to start to get bigger here, yeah. Yeah, and one other note on that, really quickly, yes, yeah, so there are four teams in the first neighborhood, there were five in the second, and then there were eight uh, in the third, so 17 teams. Yeah, I'm curious if we do approach that. I'm guessing you know, somewhere around like 12 to 15, maybe 10, 12, 15 in that neighborhood. But one more note on this one. I also think it's important to note that we're not saying these teams are top 25 teams every single year. They're not going to be in the top 25. It is very, very difficult to do that. There aren't that many teams across college football that every single season they're in the top 25 for the entire season or even in the top 40. These programs that we're talking about, they will have the five-win season. They will have the six-win season. Now, I think in order to be in this neighborhood, you can't do that more than a couple of times a decade. I think we're going to talk about Iowa probably here in a little bit. Are they in neighborhood four? They've had the seven-win season several times, but they're not only winning seven games 50% of the time, 60% of the time. It's more of like a 20 30% of the time they're in that six, seven-win ballpark. And again, just to kind of make sure that we're reminding everybody, this is what we're projecting for the next decade. We're not even talking about what they did. Yes, that factors into it, but when we say a seven-win season, we're talking about a seven-win season from now, 2020 until 2029. Let's talk about locks for this uh, this group here. It seems like Florida State, we're fully on board. That's a lock along with Washington, correct? Yes. Is USC a lock for this neighborhood too? I think so. I think when you look at what they've done, uh, I understand that a lot of people think that Clay Helton has an expiration date that's probably going to happen in the next couple of years. But they've still been sort of a top 25, top 30-ish team for most of the last decade. Obviously, they're not where they were in you know the meat of the 2000s, 2004, 2005, 2006, and in that area. But they're still a good program. They still command a lot of respect on the West Coast, good recruiting. So yeah, this, this is where they live. They're still a good program. And you mentioned a couple episodes that we don't want to get into projecting coaching decisions here because that's just kind of too hard of a game to play. But even with USC, this is USC with Clay Helton. Like they haven't been that bad under Clay Helton. If they go out and get Urban Meyer next year or go out and get a, a Matt Campbell or a really damn good coach that we both agree on, yeah, they're comfortably in neighborhood three. Maybe they're going to jump up into the bottom of neighborhood two within three or four years. I think this is kind of Clay Helton USC right now. I don't think he's going to be here the whole decade. I think there's no chance of that. I don't think he's going to be there in two years or in three years from now. Maybe he'll survive another year because this is going to be kind of a weird coaching carousel. I think there are going to be a lot of excuses, and rightfully so. If your team does go 5-7, and seven, if your team does go 8-4, and four, and you were supposed to go 11-1. and one. So I don't know if he's going to be there that long, but this is Clay Helton, USC, and I think they're probably at the top. Maybe they're sharing that top line uh, with Florida State. So we have USC, Florida State, Washington. Do you think Oklahoma State's a lock here? I do, yeah. Uh, 
the the six win uh, or five win or whatever kind of season they had in 2018 where they were kind of down, that is not who they've been under Gundy. If you go back the last 15 years, they are consistently an eight, nine win type of program. They've had a couple years where they really jump up and compete at the very top of the Big 12, compete nationally for some big time stuff. Uh, but for the most part, they're consistent. They have a high floor. That's what we want in a neighborhood like this. Those are the only very, very obvious locks that I have. I think there are some other teams where I would be shocked if we didn't put him here, and I'd be shocked if you didn't want to put him here. Uh, Iowa, Virginia Tech, we can talk group of five, Boise State, Cincinnati, even Memphis if you want to, maybe have some sort of app state discussion. What other teams do you think are 100% locks, no question about it? I think Iowa is very similar to Oklahoma State in that they're really consistent. They have a high floor. You know what you're going to get with them. You're going to get eight or nine wins with Kirk Friends. So I think they absolutely belong in here. Virginia Tech is not as much of a lock as they would have been probably 10 years ago. But then again, 10 years ago, they probably wouldn't have even been in this neighborhood. They probably would have been higher the way they competed and were nationally relevant. So I do think that Tech is going to live in this neighborhood. And they're going to, I mean, the, I think with the, the type of year, especially they're going to have this upcoming year. I think we don't care that much about single years. But I think, I'm guessing you're going to see in 2020 what Virginia Tech should continue to look like. I think they're going to validate their placement in this neighborhood. Uh, so I think they are here as well. Let's stay in the ACC then, since we're talking about I agree with those, by the way. I think that Iowa and Virginia Tech are, are definitely in that neighborhood. Let's stay in the ACC and talk about, uh, let's do three teams here. Let's do Miami, Louisville, North Carolina. Which of those three do you think are, I mean, any of those three? Do you think any of those three shouldn't even be in this conversation or any of those three locks too? I don't know that they're a lock, but I'm pretty confident that Louisville should be in this neighborhood. Uh, when you look at what they've done in the recent past, uh, how they're set up with their coaching staff right now, their trajectory, where they're going to live the, these next few years. I think they're in this neighborhood. They have a recent Heisman winning candidate. Uh, that you know, the recent high level sort of top ten success. They've also had some really terrible years too. But we are giving teams in this neighborhood that sort of cushion where it's okay if you have one or two bad years. For the most part over the last decade, and probably for the next decade to come, they've been a solid, consistent kind of program. So I think this is where they live. I have a really hard time seeing a Scott Satterfield team, and I know that he hasn't been doing this for like 20 years, but I give Scott Satterfield just a ton of benefit of the doubt here. I have a hard time seeing a Scott Satterfield team going like 4-8. and eight. I think we will see like a 6-6. Six and six. The ACC will turn on at some point. It's not going to be this bad for, for the next decade. There will be years in this decade where it turns around and there are several top 15 teams. So maybe in a season like that, they only win five games. I just don't see that happening very much. And I think that they're going to consistently live in that 7-10 to 10 win neighborhood. Maybe in five years when Satterfield gets humming, they're in that playoff conversation. But I just have that much trust in Scott Satterfield. I think we're going to, we already talked about some coaching things here. We're going to talk about a lot of coaching projections uh, and how much trust we have in these guys. I think that Scott Satterfield sits right up there. Moving to a couple. So we're saying Louisville is in this neighborhood. I agree with that. Okay, then we agree. Okay, great. So let's go to Miami uh, and North Carolina. A couple of interesting uh, coaching conversations here because when Mac Brown was hired in North Carolina, I hated it. I didn't get it. I've always wondered why North Carolina wasn't better. They had those couple of great years under Larry Fedora. I've always wondered why that's not a better program in the ACC in a pretty darn good recruiting region. I hated the hire, 
but I can't deny what he did in year one. Sam Howell coming back for now at least two more years. I would think that would help have them recruit some more quarterbacks, some more skill position players. And we don't want to talk that much about 2021 recruiting because it's such a small piece of this. But you can't deny what they're doing and pulling some of these four- and five-star kids away from established big-time powerhouse programs. I don't know if they're in this neighborhood, but I think that we have to talk about them. How much trust do you have in Mac Brown? I would like to see another year of it. I'm, I am I know you're a little higher on well, them. What, than what I do you am. want to see this year? So what, what, would, what would change your mind? I don't know that there's a record for it. But this is this is kind of a Supreme Court pornography situation uh, in that I will know it when I see it. Uh, it's the ACC is so starved for oxygen right now with Clemson, and it just feels like it's Clemson and then a bunch of mediocre programs. And if North Carolina can show me, and maybe this is a dumb and arbitrary standard, but if they just look the part, I would be willing to give them the kind of credit that you're talking about in the fact that they're stealing recruits and, and sort of building something where there's not a lot else going on, especially, you know, with the coastal looking like it has for however many years it has now. I just, I'm not there yet with them. Yeah, that's fine. I think that I'm trying to figure out a way to quantify what I would want to see from, if you want to make a really strong argument that they were in four, I would have probably been okay with it, but I think they will live. Um, we'll talk about some of these teams later. I'm guessing that like Minnesota, Iowa state will be in that, that fifth neighborhood teams with a lot of potential that have popped up recently. I think that seems like a better fit for them. Um, I'm trying to figure out some way to quantify it. I know that we all look back to that Clemson game against North Carolina, and not only did Clemson look bad in that game, North Carolina looked like a team that, I mean, they looked good. There are games where that are it's an upset or almost an upset where the heavily favored team just looks like shit, and their team doesn't look that great. Clemson looked like shit, but North Carolina still looked pretty good. So maybe it's a type of game like that where if they can not necessarily challenge Clemson again, but look like they're in that same ballpark as Clemson, at least talent-wise, then maybe uh, maybe we would see that. So we'll put them in five for now. How about Miami? Where are you at on Miami? Do you think that they're in this neighborhood? I don't. It, it's this. It reeks to me of a brand that is... I mean, the, the best thing about Miami football is the brand of Miami football. Like if you, if you look at what they've done in recent history, they're a mediocre program. I mean, why I understand is the brand, they, why is the brand even like, what is the brand of Miami football? I, I guess it's like swagger and Miami. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even know, know if that's true anymore though. I think that people just think that's true, but is it actually true? Well, I mean, I don't know how much of a weird metaphysical conversation you want to have about like if if, pe- if enough people believe something, does that make it true? But like, I I don't know. I just look at them and I see another program in the ACC. You know, Miami's never won the ACC. Yeah, that makes sense. I Ever? mean, I'm looking back on it, they don't have any. Yeah, they have like a billion nine win seasons. So they joined the ACC in '04. They have one, two, three, four, five nine win seasons but they only have one 10 win season that's kind of like the the baseline of what we're talking about here you have to have that 10 win they were so severely overrated against a really soft schedule that year so that wasn't even that great of a 10 win season that was more like an eight win team or a nine win team at the very most but that's kind of like the baseline we're saying you got to be going 10 and 2 for 30 40 percent of this decade and they've done it once in 16 years i just yeah i feel like they're, I mean, they could get back to where they were 18 years ago. Like, obviously, that could happen. 
Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to happen in the next five years. I don't know if it's going to happen with the current coaching staff. I just don't believe in them. And you need a little bit of belief, I think, with this neighborhood. And they, they just seem like an ace, a middling ACC program that has some great history, but isn't doing anything to really pay attention to right now. I think they have most of the consistency that we're talking about. Yeah, they might have a few too many of those five, six, seven win season that we've been seeing. And I can see several of those moving forward, but they still have a lot of consistency. I mean, you, I talked about all those nine win seasons. They have the eight win season, seven win season. They don't dip that much. I mean, they haven't, they've had the five win season, but they haven't had like a three and nine. They haven't had like a four and eight that I think would borderline disqualify them moving forward. I'd, I don't see them doing that in this decade. I don't see Miami going like four and eight or even five and seven. I just foresee a lot of seven and fives and eight and fours. And I don't know when they're going to pop up because it's been so long of everybody saying that, man, maybe Miami, we talk about Texas is back all the time. We talk about Miami is back all the goddamn time too. And maybe they're just not, maybe that's a, a year thing. Maybe we need to see Manny Diaz go, I don't know, at least like nine and three this year. Maybe they need to go like a 10 and two and a bad ACC for us to finally say maybe they can turn the corner. So it seems like we're not putting them in this neighborhood. Yeah, I think the bad ACC thing is a great comment by you because if if you were on this level in this conference, like wouldn't you be ripping off wins right now? I mean, like that's that's another thing we can tie back to North Carolina and Louisville is, you know, if, if we're if if we're both right about Louisville or if you're right about your hunches with North Carolina, we should see them post some pretty strong records in the very near future. Like this is not a at least last year, and I think maybe this year too. It was not a very good ACC beyond Clemson. So, I don't know. Show us show us the wins. Well, yeah, and UNC went what? I think they were 7-6 and six last year. I can't remember. They went 4-4 four and four in the – I mean, you go 4-4 four and four in the ACC. I, I, with them, I, I love the potential there. Mac Brown is clearly proving me wrong. But you're going 4-4 four and four in the ACC. I think, it's, I think they are maybe uh, a year away. So, we'll probably put them uh, – North Carolina and Miami at least – they seem like strong neighborhood five teams. So, we'll probably just put them as placeholders there. We've talked about Iowa, and I think that's before we get to G5, and I think that Iowa is, is the best lead-in to a conversation about Kansas State and the Big 12. Um, why don't you jump into this? You, you, were kind, you mentioned West Virginia. I think we were exchanging texts. Are they in this neighborhood? I think Kansas State needs to be talked about. I think Baylor needs to be talked about. I think Iowa State needs to be talked about. Which of those, what did I say, four or five teams do you feel is most strongly a neighborhood four team? Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the Big 12 is that we've already listed three of the 10 teams in the conference in previous neighborhoods, right? We've got Oklahoma in one, and then we've got uh, Texas, and uh, we've got Texas in three. We've got Oklahoma State, who we've already said is in four. So we've already got three of the 10 teams, and it kind of feels like you can make arguments for almost every other team remaining in the Big 12 except for Kansas, uh, I, I think Kansas State is probably the strongest when you look at, admittedly, we are both really high on that coaching staff. I know that they don't get as much national love as we have given on this particular podcast, but we are really high on Kansas State. I think they're consistent. I think they jump up and get a really nice win every couple of years. Uh, I just, I think I know what I'm getting with them. I think I'm getting a contrarian program in a conference that likes to have a lot of offense, I think they're going to play a, a different sort of style. 
so I, I do think Kansas State is probably a neighborhood four team. Uh, and, and then you can make interesting arguments for a lot of other teams, but I think they fall apart if you look at them long enough. Uh, I know you're really interested in the whole Baylor part of this, so maybe that's a good place to start when we're looking at the rest of the Big 12 teams. How do you see Baylor fitting into all this? Well, yeah, first of all, I agree on Kansas State. That's why I kind of let in with Iowa. I don't think that they've been as good as Iowa recently, but I have trust in Chris Kleiman moving forward. We don't need to, when we talk about Chris Kleiman all the time on this yeah, show, we like trust him Chris a lot Kleiman's moving Chris Kleiman's PR forward. staff. Like, we, we do a lot of good work for Chris Kleiman. We do push a lot of propaganda from Manhattan for them, free of charge. So I, I'm fine with putting Kansas State in here. I think they're actually a really, really strong neighborhood four team. Uh, again, we're not ranking these teams really, but I think that they're kind of in that, that little tier alongside Iowa behind Florida State, behind Oklahoma State. Baylor is one that I don't really know what to do with them because looking at what Matt Rule did, I still don't think we understand what Matt Rule did at Baylor. Like, I, I, I think about it all the time. I think about him and, like, what Bill Clark has done at UAB. And I think that you and I are among those that are really pushing this. Like, do you guys realize what's happening at Baylor? Do you realize what's happening at UAB? And I still don't think we even understand how good of a job Matt Rule did going into Baylor. And I think that he was like literally the only guy that could do it. And even if they had, even if they had Matt Rule, they might be a fringe, a fringe neighborhood three team. Can they do it moving forward? We, even if he had come back this year, we know probably at some point he's going to the NFL. So that, that would be kind of a hard conversation to have. But even if they have Matt Rule going forward, how often are they going to have teams like last year? And that's what we're talking about here. That's the team once a decade that pops up and really challenges for a playoff bid, maybe once or twice every decade. So it's not even like a matter of I don't trust the new staff. It's I think that Matt Rule did such an incredible job that I really wonder what the ceiling is with that new staff. If you look at Baylor historically, before Art Bryles, and I know we can say a lot about Art Bryles, but I'm focusing strictly on the football part of it here. Before Art Bryles was in Waco, Baylor was an irrelevant team in, in this conference in Power 5 football. They were not worth talking about, and Art Bryles made them good. Uh, so when you look at Art Bryles being gone and then Matt Rule coming in and cleaning up all of that and then making them not just competitive, but really nationally relevant. Uh, I don't know how you could analyze this situation anyway, but acknowledging that Baylor has to take a step back now. Like there's only one direction for them to go in the immediate future, and that is taking a step back. So I... I feel like Hold on. let me let me hop in with something okay, along go ahead. those lines. I think that you make a good point where there's really only one direction. And even if they stay at like that eight win ish kind of plateau, I think that in putting Texas in that third neighborhood, we kind of tipped our hand because if we feel that highly about Texas, that was a neighborhood where we said they were a, that's a consistent nine to ten win team almost every single season. They're going to challenge for the playoff. I think we said like every three or four years or so, if we feel that highly on Texas, and you're a little bit higher than, than I am, but I, I came around a little bit. If we did that, aren't we kind of saying that, that Texas has occupied the spot that Baylor would need to get to every four or five years? And in these, again, we're not ranking them. We have Oklahoma State higher than them in this neighborhood. We're not ranking these teams, but they are comfortably higher than Baylor in this neighborhood. 
Therefore, where is the opportunity for Baylor to jump up, which we said you have to do in this neighborhood? I just don't see it. And you made a great point a few weeks ago that the Big 12 is fun because it's always Oklahoma, yes. But it's like every year we have a new team that pops up. One year it's TCU, one year it's Baylor, one year it's Kansas State, one year it's Oklahoma State. It's fun to have all these teams pop up. Maybe it's Iowa State this year. If we're talking about that highly about Texas and we have Oklahoma State ranked ahead of them, and now Kansas State, although I think the margin is significantly smaller between Kansas State and Baylor, where does Baylor pop up? And they have to do that to be in this neighborhood, right? Yeah, the, the mathematical argument is a strong one there. At best, if we put Baylor in this neighborhood, which I, it sounds like we're not going to, but let's say we did. We're saying they're the fifth best program in the Big 12, which has 10 programs, right? Like at, at a certain point, there is no room. So that's a that's a great observation by you. Uh, I, I think Baylor could could make some moves here, but I, I just think they they're sort of capped out by the success of other programs. And I don't have enough trust, sort of, in this weird moment where we have a new coach coming in and we're trying to look at both the big and the small pictures here for the you know the the next few years. We don't have any data. We you almost have to assume that they're going to take a step back and that these other programs that have more institutional momentum are going to surpass them at least for the you know the next few years. So I think you have to pull back Baylor. Let's stay in the Big 12 here and then we'll move on. I want to talk about a couple of SEC teams quickly and then we'll have that G5 conversation. Really curious where that goes. Wow, West Virginia, TCU and Iowa State. Are any of them locks for this neighborhood for you? Do you even want to talk about them? Uh, Iowa State, I feel like the the Matt Campbell stuff, we don't know what's going to go on there. Even if we did, it's it's still, you know, it's still the same Baylor problem, right? We already have four teams ahead of them. So it, at a certain point, it's really hard to put three quarters of the Big 12 in the top four neighborhoods. Like somebody has to lose games. And that's why, you know, if you don't watch the Big 12, if you're not a, a really dialed into the Big 12, the Big 12 is always fascinating because you have teams that are pretty good, like fringe top 25 teams that have losing conference records. It, it's almost like basketball where you see, you know, somebody go 8 and 10 in the Big 12 and then they're a 10 seed in the tournament where if you went 8 and 10 in other conferences, you, you're probably not making the, the NCAA tournament. So it's, it's just an interesting dynamic to the conference where you have good teams but it's it's such a weird conference in terms of they, they all play each other and how the numbers always shake out. You have good teams that kind of aren't relevant. Uh, so it, it's interesting how it breaks like that. And that's, I think, what I think of when I think of about Iowa State. I wonder if the math is going to screw them. And then West Virginia, it feels like every other year, and you know, I, I think most of our regular listeners know I'm a West Virginia fan, but I, I think I'm pretty good. You tell me if I'm wrong. I think I'm pretty good about talking about them. I think you're a biased asshole about it. I just thought I would throw you a bone here and let you talk about West Virginia for a few minutes. I, it feels like they they have a great opening to every almost every season. You know, they're six and one on October twentieth, and you're going, yeah, West Virginia. You know, they're cracking the AP poll. All right, we got something interesting here. And then they go like one and five at the end of the season because they play all the good teams and they finish seven and five again. And it's just kind of who they are. And I, th I think for, for fans or maybe even just East Coast people, you have this image of them as a Big East team that's 10-2 and two every year and, and is, is annually competing for conference championships. That's not really who they've been since they moved to the Big 12. So my first inclination 
when I was thinking about West Virginia was, well, of course they're a top 40 program. And then you go look at the numbers and you're like, I don't know, are they? Like they, they really don't have the record to back that up. So I don't think Iowa State's here. I don't think West Virginia's here. And I think you have a really good point to make about TCU, which is, it's kind of what have you done for me lately? You have that piece where you're popping up. I just pull up TCU again. I mean, I know this pretty well because I've looked at TCU hard since they've they've moved to the Big 12. You have those periods of popping up, and they are like the epitome of what we're talking about here of popping up. You have 11 wins just three or two years ago in 2017, 11 in 2015, and 12 in, in uh, 2014. They were real playoff contenders. They're ranked in the AP. Yes, it's AP, but it still is a decent barometer of how good you are. They were ranked in the AP top four in three of the last six seasons, but where they fail so badly, they have way too many of the seasons that we're talking about where you can't just win four games and five games. You can do that once a decade, maybe twice a decade, but since 2012, they have over, what is that, eight years? Five of those eight years, they've won seven or fewer games. They have a four-win season over that time, a five-win season over that time, and a six-win season over that time. If they had come back last year, that's what's hilarious about Gary Patterson whenever he has a crap year he almost always comes back with like a 10 win season that didn't happen last year and I know that 2018 seven wins like isn't a crap year but if they would have come back and gone 10 and 2 last year I think they would have been comfortably comfortably in this neighborhood probably up around where Oklahoma State Washington maybe Florida State ish would have been but I think that with the inconsistency there and then also I had Brandon Marcello uh 247 sports writer on the show a few weeks ago talking about which Big 12 coaching changes you could see because just like last year going into this year, it's really hard to see where the change might come. And last year we kind of just got lucky. I don't know if that's the right word with Matt Rule taking the late job. We might have not seen a coaching change two or three years in a row. He made the argument that maybe Gary Patterson's kind of getting down to the end of the run. Maybe with him hiring back, he brought back Doug Meacham. He hired Jerry Kill, some guys he's known for a long time. To him, and this is, again, pure speculation, when I asked him the question, I said, who is the most likely coaching change? So I basically forced him into a rabbit hole here. He thought maybe Gary Patterson's time is is ending soon, and if that's true, again, speculation before anybody panics on us here, if that's true, I just don't have a ton of faith for for, uh, TCU to find the right guy to get them those consistent eight or nine win seasons, and we can be done with TCU. I mean, they're not in this neighborhood, right? Yeah, I, I mean, there, there's a. I, I think what I would say to just sort of wrap all that up and, and encapsulate it with one thought is there's a lot of reasons why this discussion we're doing is valuable and good and we like it. But I think one of them is to look at two programs like TCU and West Virginia, who spent a lot of time in the top ten of the AP poll during the first decade of this year, of this century, and reevaluating them under the new circumstances that they've now been in for seven or eight years. And the reality is that both of those programs are in the middle class of the Big 12. Like they are not, you know, top 10, top 15 kind of programs right now. They, they just, the new conference has done that to them. So they don't live in this neighborhood. They're not in the top 40 kind of building that we have constructed. And I think you nailed it talking about the elasticity of TCU, how they bounce back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. The highs haven't been so high lately. So, uh, could they get back into this neighborhood like they probably would have been six or seven years ago? Sure, of course they can, but I think they need to. I think they've got some work to do. I'm surprised this neighborhood isn't bigger yet. By my account, we have eight teams here: USC, Florida State, Washington, Oklahoma State, Iowa, Virginia Tech, Louisville, and Kansas State. Only eight in there. I think we're going to add a couple of more here. Uh, the one SEC question I want to ask you: Where are you at with Tennessee and Kentucky? 
do you want to put them in this neighborhood? What is the argument for them? Or is this on me to tell you why I'm even bringing them up? So I think Tennessee, I originally wrote down on my notes to investigate. Kentucky, honestly, I didn't think of them at all. I know I know we like Mark Stoops. Didn't even cross my mind. I know we like Mark Stoops. I know they had a good 2018 season uh, where, you know, where they were in it for a while there, the 10 wins, like all oh, that's great. Uh, but I didn't think of them as one of these programs. Where I are they falling short? Is it is it the popping up to playoff contention where they fall short for you? I just you don't, just don't see that happening? I, I would like to, kind of like North Carolina, I would like to see a little more before I say, okay, this is who you are. Like, for sure, I believe in you. I believe this is where you are. One 10-win season doesn't do it for me. I would like to see it a little more. Even if they go 10-2 and two this year, would you put them in here? Or you want to see more? I that? think I would, yeah. If they were 10-2 and two this season, I would say, okay, two 10-win seasons in three years. I like your coach. I like what you're doing. I see where you're going. It's an established pattern for me. I, I will go ahead and say you're, you're neighborhood four team. But that's, I mean, there's. I think there's a big difference when you're not an established sort of big dog in college football. If you're a Kentucky or, or somebody sort of with that profile, there's a big difference between one 10-win season and two 10-win seasons in a compressed time frame like this. All right, I'm fine with that. I wanted to bring them up because I was curious if you'd make an argument for them, but if you're not even thinking about it, we don't even talk about them. Let's go to Tennessee because they bounced back last year after disaster. I think it was in the opener. Uh, they beat a lot of really bad teams. Now they have their first eight-win season since 2016, but still they only won nine total games, 17 and 18. The recruiting's there. Moving forward, the recruiting has really always been there. They've put together usually consistent top 20, top 25 classes. They bounce up for a top five, top 10 class pretty consistently. But we talk about a lot with Washington over the last three years. I don't feel like the the production has matched the talent up there in Seattle. Same deal in Knoxville. I don't think that the production has all matched the talent. They have the nine-win seasons like Miami does. They have way too many of those five and four win seasons. I don't see as many of those moving forward. If it's Jeremy Pruitt or somebody else, I don't know how many times Tennessee is going to dip down and go four and eight or five and seven again. Maybe we'll see it once this decade. So I'm not as worried about that. I do think that they also have the piece where they could pop up and challenge for a playoff spot maybe once or twice this decade. I am worried about the consistency when they're not popping up. And when they avoid the five win season, is this really going to be a program that goes eight and four, nine and three, ten and two every single season? Are you there with Tennessee yet, or are you kind of in a Kentucky? I need Tennessee to go ten and two in back to back seasons to show me that this program has actually finally changed. I think I would put Kentucky here before I would put Tennessee here. Uh, I, I so don't didn't even. Th- wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have any faith in them at all. Like, what's the only reason I thought? Hey, maybe I should look into Tennessee a little bit is, you know, the Josh Dobbs year were pretty nice. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of clout and Tennessee fans are really loud. Uh, But I mean, look back at what Tennessee has done since Philip Fulmer left. And I don't know how you make the argument that this is where they belong. They're not a top 40 program. I get that they're in the SEC and that they were really good in the nineties, but I I don't, I don't see this with them. So Fulmer left what after 20, 2008, that's not right. 2008, yeah. So Kiffin was 2009. Let me run this real quick. So Tennessee from 2008 to 2019, how many, where do you think they rank among FBS teams for total wins over that time? Uh, From 2008, so over the last 12 years. I mean, it's got to be outside the top 40 for sure. I would think outside the top 50. 68. 
Yeah, they have. I, I mean, they have fewer wins than your Chippewas <laughs> over the last Chippewa. twelve years. They have fewer wins in Middle Tennessee, fewer wins in Texas Tech, Utah State, and I mean, yeah, we can talk about G five versus P five how you rack up the wins, but even if you look at some of these P five, they have fewer wins than very mediocre P five programs over the last twelve years. Arizona State, and I mean, it is North it's Carolina the SEC, State. so we get that part of it. But there's a lot of winnable games in the SEC. Like the, the middle of the SEC, which we have well documented on this podcast, there are games to win in the SEC. And that that's kind of why I brought that up. Like they're not just like one win behind some of these teams. Like Tennessee has 75 wins over the last 12 years. That's tied for 68th in the country. Looking at, let's take another mediocre program, Arizona State. There's seven wins behind Arizona State. There are 13 wins behind uh, Mississippi State and Pittsburgh. They're 14 wins behind Northwestern. So it's not like they're one or two wins behind all of these teams that we consider mediocre. They are so far buried. I mean, they're barely above Boston College. They have one win more than Boston College, three wins more than Duke, and Duke sucked for a large part of the decade. So I think Tennessee won't be number, what did I say, 68 for next decade. I would guess they'll be in the top 30-ish. I think they'll win the, the seven to eight games most years, and they'll probably be like 35 or 40 for these wins. But that's, I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. So it seems like I've kind of talked myself out of the my own semi-argument for Tennessee. They're not in this neighborhood. I don't think so. Which Let's means talk about G5. no SEC teams in this neighborhood. That's interesting. Let's talk about G5 because I think this is this could get a little messy and maybe the most challenging thing that we've talked about so far. I think Boise State, I don't know why we didn't mention them as a lock. I think that they are 100% a lock for this neighborhood. Totally agree. Be across multiple coaching regimes, Across multiple decades now, extreme consistency from Boise State. Across multiple conferences. I mean, they are the epitome of consistency for a G5 program. I want to say the 17 of the last 21, uh, or 16 of the last 21 uh, years, they've had a 10-win season, I think. So, yeah, they, they are clearly in this league. And even if Brian Harson leaves, which I'm of the belief that he will leave, showing interest like he showed interest in the Oregon job, the Tennessee job, if you're showing that much interest in, yeah, I know those are good jobs, but if you're showing that much interest, I think he will leave. I trust that Boise State is going to make the right hire there. So we're going to put Boise State comfortably in that fourth neighborhood. The three other teams I think we need to talk about, All-American, UCF, Memphis, and Cincinnati. Do you just want to rank those? Who's at the top of your list? Do any of those belong in the fourth neighborhood? Uh, I think we both agree Memphis is not. I agree with that too. Uh, I, I, I need think, to see. I need to see at least one season out of Ryan Silverfield to think that they could be in that ballpark. Yeah, Silverfield could end up being a good hire, but I, I feel like Memphis is going to take a, a dramatic step back. And, and as we've talked about, I mean, the Americans good. Like th- this is not you know an also ran conference. We can make fun of the the Power Six commercials and everything, but like it's hard to win games in the American. There's a lot of good teams there, so we think Memphis is probably going to take a step back. Give me, and this maybe is controversial, give me Cincinnati over UCF. What is the coaching projection there for you? Do you think Luke Fickle is there long-term or you don't even care? I I, I don't want to say I don't care, but I'm pretty close to not caring. I just but the think trust Cincinnati, is there for you. They, they have way too long of a track record over the last 15 years across multiple coaching changes across multiple quarterbacks, across multiple conferences, of being good. They're never going to be a national championship contender. So, you know, when you were talking about the the jump up to compete for a national championship, that is clearly something that UCF has that Cincinnati doesn't. 
But if you want to talk about top 40, consistently wins 8, 9, 10 games, like that's what Cincinnati is. They are absolutely that program. So I think Cincinnati is is steady. I, I expect them to sort of stay in the lane that they're in, at least for the next few years. And I think UCF, ever so slightly, is maybe trending a little bit down. So I would take Cincinnati over them. I would listen to a case that they both belong here. I would probably listen to a case that neither of them belong here. But if you're asking me to rank them, give me Cincinnati first. You know, I went into this saying that I don't think Cincinnati is here, but you're right. I mean, it seems like the Tuberville debacle when, I mean, in 7-6 and six in 2015, like, that's not that bad. Like, we've said so many times, you can do that. Yeah, that's their bad year, 7-6. and six. <laughs> Well, no, well, that's what I'm saying, is then they go 4-8. and eight. So, like, that's the, that's the one that hurts, and then Fickle kind of had to pick up the pieces. So, I'm not really putting that much stock into the transition of going 4-8 and eight with Fickle in 17. So, I'm kind of just, like, ignoring that season as picking up the pieces from Tuberville going 4-8 and eight and 16. So, like, that's the one that worries me. The 7-6 and six Tuberville one doesn't worry me. We've talked a lot that you can have that season once or twice or three times, whatever, during a decade. Moving forward, not that concerned about it. The 4-8, and eight, like, that's it. Like, they had the one bad year when Butch Jones took over, but then next year they're winning 10 games again, and they come back in 2012 in the Big East and win 10 games before they, before they go to the American. The consistency is there. The popping up is what worries me. I don't... I think what we saw with UCF, and we we don't we're not going to get into some sort of UCF playoff debate, but we both agree that that was a really really darn good UCF team. I think that everybody, can, yeah, I mean that was a, a top ten talented team in the country, maybe top five to six. That was a really really good team. They were that team. I think that UCF has proven they can pop up and do that, and it wasn't the perfect year for them. They need a lot more things to go their way in terms of strength of schedule. What other teams do, they need maybe a two loss team or a couple of two loss teams in there. So it wasn't the perfect year, but they did what they needed to do that year. Like there was no denying throughout that entire year that UCF basically couldn't have done any more. They did what they needed to do. They didn't have the schedule to do it. They didn't have the other things to fall into place. I don't know if Cincinnati can do that. If you're telling me that Luke Fickle is going to keep building and be there for five or six years, sure. Yeah, they could absolutely do that. But I think him flirting with the Michigan State job, which I think is a good job, it's not a great job. I think that means he would strongly consider leaving for something else. I mean, if USC calls in two years, if Luke Fickle goes 11 and 11 and two or whatever the next two years and USC calls, he's probably not turning that job down. I, I trust them to make the right hire again and to have a guy come in and go nine and four or 10 and three or something like that. I just don't know if they can pop up like UCF has done. I think UCF is in this neighborhood. I think they are. They've had the consistency long enough. We can all talk about the end of the Georgia Leary area, and it took Scott Frost a little bit of time to get moving there. But UCF was still really, really good before Scott Frost got there, and they've been consistent now. They've dipped a little bit. I agree that I think their stock is going down a little bit, but not that much. I think that Josh Heupel could leave at some point. But anyways, I think UCF deserves this a little bit more than Cincinnati does because I'm worried about Luke Fickle, but I would probably put both those teams in this neighborhood. I'm good with putting both of them in here. How do you feel about... App State. The Sun Belt kills it. I just I I don't think that they have that pop-up factor at all. They have the top, I mean, App State is the top 40 team. Like they're the team when you're filling out your ballot, you either throw them a bone at, at number 25 or they're somewhere between 25 and 40 every single year and it does not matter who the head coach is. I mean, you could hire anybody apparently and run App State and have them win a whole bunch of games, but the Sun Belt 
kills it for them. I mean, what would they need to pop up and go 13-0 and and seriously be like six in the playoff rankings? They would need a road win over a Penn State, like a top 10 Penn State, probably a road win over like a top 25 or a top 20 Arizona State, something like that, and then just completely blitz through the Sun Belt. That's probably what they would need right, and that, that doesn't seem likely that they could go get two road wins like that. Yeah, forget the playoff for a second. What would App State need to play in a New Year's Six Bowl? Because even that fe- feels tough for the Sun Belt. With the American, yeah. I mean, with how top-heavy and how good the American has been, unless we get realignment, that's a good point. And we're not even talking about Boise State here. Boise State's always just there, so not only do you have to top an 11-1 and Boise team, but you have to top whatever top 12-ish team comes out of the American. Yeah. I don't even know. It's hard to even see them getting to that point. So, no, I don't think they're in this, but I think that on the next episode, we could have a deeper conversation about should they be in the fifth neighborhood alongside some of these teams that we've talked about, Memphis, Minnesota, Iowa State, Baylor, North Carolina, Miami. Are they in that ballpark? I don't know. But I think that's an interesting conversation to have around the Sun Belt. And as we go down more neighborhoods, we're going to talk a lot about the Sun Belt too, a lot more about these G5 teams. So, no, I don't think they're in this neighborhood. Do you think there's any... Any argument for them? No, I, I agree with you. The Sun Belt is just a huge problem for them in terms of what their ceiling is, and I think that bars them from entry here. We didn't. I, I'm just now realizing we didn't talk about Michigan State. Ten seconds or less. Do you think Michigan State is in this neighborhood? No, uh, they were they were a team that I consider, but it, it didn't go more beyond uh, Michigan. I mean, we could do a whole episode on Michigan State and all of their problems over the last four or five years as a school as a program as an athletic department everything i just i don't really have any reason to believe this but i feel like when you go that hard after a head coach and pay him that much money and he says no initially and then comes back and says yes i just feel like it's not gonna work it's not fair at all for me to say that but i'm just skeptical of like wow you you really see something how do you know that i don't know if this is gonna work okay so i think we've got our our fourth neighborhood I'm surprised that it wasn't bigger. We have 11 teams, USC, Florida State, Washington, Oklahoma State, Iowa, Virginia Tech, Boise State, UCF, Louisville, Kansas State, and Cincinnati. Nobody else you want to pop in there? I don't think so. Awesome. So we'll be back then on Thursday, and we'll talk about we've already basically formed the first part of this fifth neighborhood. Like I said, Miami, Baylor, North Carolina kind of leading that conversation. We'll talk some more about some G5 teams, um, some more mid-level Power 5, where does Pittsburgh fit in? Where does Wake, Washington State, Virginia, curious what we have to say about them, Arizona State, Cal. Uh, in the meantime, tweet at us, at High Motor Pod. Curious, uh, specifically your takes on the G5 situation. I'm surprised we didn't talk more about that. Maybe we'll get more into that in the fifth neighborhood. Tweet us what your neighborhood should be. Thanks for listening to the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in